strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast yet, please do it. It's simple to do on any device you have. You'll never miss a minute of the show. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Retirement Planners of America. So uh, a couple of things. Dr. Fauci is now saying you might need a fourth shot. I can't keep up. I, I, I did. I did the two shots. I did it right away. Um, I did it at State Farm Stadium in the middle of the night, trying to be a good citizen and trying to do my part because I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, I did all of those things. Um, I went and got my booster. So I figure, all right, third time's a charm. Everything's good. Now they're saying maybe you need a fourth shot. I don't know if I'm going for the fourth shot, but um, mandates. I understand that I give everybody the benefit of the doubt, including the president of the United States. I give Joe Biden more credit than anybody on that side of the aisle ever gave the Donald Trump administration about COVID-19. I don't think either administration knows any more than the other one, except now more data is coming in. But science is going to dictate what we do. It was years with HIV, which is a virus, by the way. The V stands for virus. HIV, it was years before there were effective treatments to that deadly disease. So we will get treatments, and it seems like they're making headway, but it doesn't necessarily mean things are going to get fixed. I would rather argue about policy, and you can make the argument that policy, no matter what it is, didn't do any better in one place than the other in the overall grand scheme of things. New York and Florida, polar opposites in how they handled it. Right now, there's a huge spike going on in New York. Florida's got the best per capita in the country or one of them. Michigan. One of the worst states for shutting down. Worst, one of the worst case rates, hospitalization rates in the country right now. What is it? Michigan, Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania. I mean, all of these states, Illinois, all of these states that had very strict rules. Did California fare that much better than Arizona? Answer is no. So policies are there as a best guess to try to shut this down. Now we're talking about mandates. Well, a couple of things about mandates. First, I want you to hear what the Pima County Sheriff says, because, you know, Pima County is the only, I think, the only county left in the state that's got a mandate in place. Uh, Phoenix was going to do it as a city, but they didn't, um, they, they decided to put a moratorium on it, at least for now. So this is what the Pima County Sheriff is saying about mandates in that, in that uh, county. 158 of the 371 have not been vaccinated. If I lost 158 officers today, would it hurt? Sure it would. Would it, would it make things tough and give us some challenges to overcome? Absolutely. But could we do it? Yes, we could do it. You could do it with half the police force? Um, so that's what the Pima County Sheriff is saying. Pima County Corrections Sergeant Thomas Frazier talking to KOLD. By the way, that was KOLD where the sheriff was. This is what a corrections sergeant says would happen if they keep the mandate in place and corrections officers leave. We cannot effectively run the facility at the low staffing levels that we are, and we definitely can't run the facility minus 200 or even 150 officers. It's dangerous. I think it would be very scary and it would be a disservice to the uh, civilians and the citizens of Pima County to reduce the population, to let people out of jail in such vast numbers that would be necessary to allow that facility to run on half of or less than half of 
the current workforce. So now I want you to hear uh, Griselda Satino here from KTIR News talking about this new the news that came out today about Dignity Health and what they're doing. Dignity Health is pausing some elective surgeries to deal with shrinking capacity. Just a few days ago, our state's top pandemic advisor, Dr. Richard Carmona, warned these steps may be necessary. He also explained why our hospitals may get even more packed. Cold weather, people uh, congregating, the holidays and so on, and a high level of uh, unvaccinated people, almost 40 percent of the people not being vaccinated. Those are all significant risk factors. Statewide, we're seeing some of the lowest levels of hospital bed availability since the pandemic began. Now, uh, just to be fair, it's not COVID related in that sense. We are not seeing the peaks we saw of COVID bed use. That doesn't mean any more beds are available, but you can't blame it all on COVID. But let's go there for a moment. When you talk to healthcare professionals, many of them are saying it's not just the concern of bed space, it's staffing issues. I've got a Wall Street Journal story right in front of me. Some hospitals drop COVID-19 vaccine mandates to ease labor shortages. So again... I'm not holding a grudge. I'm not angry at anyone. I have no ill will or malice toward anyone. But do those policies work? The city of Phoenix, I can guarantee you this. I can guarantee you this. The city council, from the mayor to every member of the city council, have been hearing in city of Phoenix from city agencies saying, if you keep this mandate in place, it's going to be a disaster. The city manager was told about the city employees that will go somewhere else and what it would do to the efficiency and the services from the city. Yes, it was first responders, fire and police. What about the city courts? What about permits and the building department? You are going to see a massive slowdown in city services, and it was going to be a political nightmare. And all of these different divisions and different departments of the city government were telling the city council, if you do this, it's going to be a disaster. They are saying the same thing in Pima. I don't think Pima County, because I think they're, you know, they have such a a voter base that loves mandates. They may not be politically in trouble, but that doesn't mean that the services aren't going to suffer. So once again, it's about policy. I understand wanting to keep people safe. I've got numbers in front of me, and I know everybody hates the numbers, but this I found fascinating. Once again, new cases. The oldest among us, 65 plus over the weekend, accounted for only 12% of the new cases, 12%. But they accounted for 46 of the new hospitalizations and 62% of the new deaths. Keep that in mind. 12% of the new cases, 46% of hospitalizations, 62% of deaths. The 20 to 44-year-old age group, the least vaccinated among us, right, or close to it, 39% of the new cases, almost more than three times the number of new cases. They only accounted for 20% of new hospitalizations. That's less than half of the 65 plus and only 2% of the deaths. So the oldest among us by vaccination rate, 65 plus, 98.6% vaccination rate. You can look this up. This is, I'm not making these numbers up. I got them directly from the Arizona Department of Health Services website. And it goes almost exactly in order. The lowest among us are the under 20 age group with 27.9% vaccination rate. 
the uh, and then they break it down thirty five fifty four and it's broken down a little bit more in age groups by ten year increments until you get to sixty five plus. But at sixty five plus, we're at ninety eight percent, ninety eight and a half percent vaccination, and yet, and it shows by such a low number of cases. Number one in hospitalizations, number one in deaths. Those are the numbers we should be paying attention to. Those are the numbers we should be warning people about. Those are the people that should be taking extra caution. Mandates and all this other stuff is just mucking up the works. And I understand the idea behind it. But is it effective? And it isn't effective. It's not working. So let's do something else. Inflation and the economy. If you haven't heard what the White House is saying about inflation and what's going to fix it, I'm going to give you an idea of what that is coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. So we've talked, I talked about this earlier, and I want to give you a compare and contrast because I think in the end, if we talk about issues and we get rid of politics, we have a better understanding of each other and it gets less offensive. And in the end, that's exactly, um, that is exactly where we should be. Um, here's the policy difference. Uh, the president of the United States believes that his Build Back Better bill is going to help with inflation. I want you to hear his belief, what his economists, what economists are saying about Build Back Better. What the economists are saying, this Build Back Better bill is not going to increase inflation, it'll diminish inflation. It has a negative impact on inflation. If they're paying considerably less for childcare, considerably less for healthcare, considerably less for insulin, considerably less and go down the list of being able to take care of their parents, all the things that are in the Build Back Better plan. The reason why people think it's going to, economists think it's going to, in fact, diminish the impact on inflation is because it's reducing cost for ordinary people. Well, it, it's the money comes from somewhere, and that's where the issue is with this: is the redistribution of wealth idea. Um, I can I, I'm not a historian; I'm certainly not an economic historian, but I have watched how things work, and I am a product of it. When you infuse more money into the economy. And when I'm talking about redistribution of wealth, I'm talking about when people have more of their discretionary income, we watch the economy flourish. When you reduce regulation and requirements on businesses, you watch the economy flourish. Um, When you ask major corporations that deal with federal compliance issues, which is worse for them, which is more oppressive or what hinders their growth and success – is it the the uh, regulations they have to abide by and compliance issues, or is it taxation? There are a lot of corporations that would say it's a toss-up. People think it's just taxation, and it isn't. So um, we did something here in Arizona, and I talked about this before, but it's a difference in policy. And if you look at Arizona's economy, we should be envied by much of the country, by most of the country. They made it a decision to make it easier for people to do business in Arizona. And this was a concerted effort from the governor's office and members of the legislature. So a couple of years ago, it was decided, I should say more than a couple now, um, it was decided that if you own, if you have a certificate of proficiency in a skill, if you're a hairstylist, if you're a massage therapist, if you have a skill that requires you have a license, a permit, and you have to show proficiency in order to do it, if you come to Arizona and you're proficiency is your certificate 
is at least one year old and it's in good standing with where you live, you can bring it with you to Arizona and go to work. Now, you have to go through the process of getting licensed, but you can go right to work. So imagine someone. um, Okay, I'll be stereotypical. Um, a, A woman is a hairstylist and she's done this for a living. She lives in Georgia and she wants to move to Arizona. Um, you come to Arizona, but you're not licensed in Arizona yet. So can you go right to work and cut hair? It wasn't that way before. So what you had to do was go get a job as a waitress or a bartender or go do something else until your licensing went through or go through the process before you could start working. Arizona made it. So come to work, show your proficiency, go to work and get licensed. You still have to go through the process. Arizona has still got oversight on the different skills that we employ. Well, they're doing the same thing now with commercial driver's licenses, making it easier to get your CDL, not lowering requirements, fixing the process. The supply chain shortage is has a significant role in the cost of goods and goods not being on the shelf. We don't have enough qualified truck drivers. It's a dangerous job. They're only allowed to work a certain number of hours per week, and they've got to keep a logbook because you don't want somebody exhausted driving a truck uh, that big, driving a truck that fast. So this is something that is important. So the governor's office in Arizona is saying we are going to reduce the process. We're going to make it easier for people. When you do that, businesses flourish. So it's two different policies here. Agreeing that we all want the same thing. I I started a place saying we all want want what's best. We want people to have their best chance of success. Right now, there are 3.8 or some three and a half million jobs that people are not filling in America. And yet, We continue to write people checks because they have children. So you are making people more dependent on the government. Well, there are people that can't pay for health care. I agree. Listen, I think that when you watch how businesses have handled it and employers are now having in-house health care, I'm sorry, health care, child care available so that parents can have their children on campus or wherever they work um, in order as as a benefit, as part of their benefit package, things of that nature. It can be solved and should be solved by the private sector. So you can say, and this is where the political argument comes in. One side of the aisle says this side of the aisle doesn't care about these issues and poor people. Not true. I want people to have health care. I want people to have child care. I want families to have enough food to feed their families. I want all of that to happen. I just don't think the government solves the problem. What we are on a path to now, if you look at what's happening, there are jobs out there and good paying jobs out there for people. People have an opportunity right now to go to work and they're not taking it. Well, they're being subsidized hundreds of dollars every month for their children. Why not get a job? Why not provide them an opportunity to be self-sufficient? I just think it's a difference in policy. The federal government wants to take from the rich, believing it's not going to affect the economy in any way, and they want to give it to the poor people, and that somehow is going to raise their stature and raise their financial place in life. That's not true. It doesn't work that way. 
And then what happens is those families that are getting the hundreds of dollars every month because they have children become dependent on it. When you pull that rug out from under them, now they're in financial trouble, and that's where the politics plays a role in this. So I'm just giving you two different perspectives. One is let's make it easier for people to work. Let's make it easier for people to be employed. Let's make it easier to give people opportunities. The other says we're going to confiscate wealth from one group. We're going to give it to another group. And now you're dependent on us. And by the way, there's all kinds of rules attached to it. That's not the way I think America's great. I don't believe it at all. I think we're at our best when we give people the opportunity at self-sufficiency. And none of this in this Build Back Better bill is about self-sufficiency. It isn't. It's about dependency. In a moment, we're going to talk about schools and education. That's coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, one of the biggest, one of my favorite topics to discuss if, uh, out of all of them is to talk about something that everybody's concerned about. And uh, when you talk about the state of education in, in Arizona and across the country, I um, am a huge proponent being someone myself, as I mentioned many times, such a horrible student in high school. But I was a very good elementary school student. I learned so much early and I was I excelled. I was, you know, kind of one of the accelerated students when I was a kid, lazy, horrible student when I was older. Nobody's fault but my own. Just a lazy kid. But when I got older and education mattered, when I transitioned into this business and, you know, I've never been. Obviously, if you listen to this show, I'm not a professional broadcaster. I am able to read. And very quickly convey a thought on what I've read. I know that sounds silly, but the ability to to comprehend what reading comprehension is a huge thing. And being able to do that when I was much younger, when I trans this industry transition would have never happened for me had I not been a good reader. Now, I was a lazy reader, but I'm a good reader. And when you look at what it takes and what what we're up against, It benefits everyone. A good education benefits everyone. An educated society helps everyone. The idea makers, the people that are out there, the creators of what's coming next. We are, all of us, have got to understand that it's over for us at one time or another. We are not the leaders in industry anymore. And smart leaders in every industry is constantly looking for their replacement. You can't be afraid to help somebody. I had so many people help me. I've mentioned before in this industry, um, Glenn Beck and I are so different in style and so different in many ways. But Glenn Beck has been like an older brother to me and has has mentored me in so many ways. The willingness for someone that is that busy and that in demand to take time out. Um, Who are we? You know, who are we helping? Every good business understands their board of directors is getting older every day and mentoring the young people. I would say one of the worst things that's happening in American politics right now is that nobody wants to let go. 
No one wants to let go. They're in their 80s and they're still in American politics. And it's not just at the federal level. You look at our state legislature. There are some young members, but there are some people that have been there a long time. And it's not just turning over the keys at some time. Who are we mentoring to follow in our footsteps? Who are we mentoring in policy and the negotiation skills it takes and the things that it takes to do these things? That's what makes us important. And it starts with a good education, because once you find something you love, to do and now you say I want to do this for a living do you have the skills to learn the skills that's what we're up against so locally here in the state of Arizona I have been harping on the Phoenix Union High School District because I don't believe and I hope I'm wrong in the long run and it gets corrected I don't believe that they are setting their student body as a whole up for success Um, When you cave into the political agenda of defund the police and now you're seeing high school campuses across the city are not as safe as they should be. I'm not calling them this horrible, dangerous place where kids lives are in danger. I'm not even inflating this to that level. But you have school teachers across the district that are trying to make their voices heard saying in-house they're not running to the media. They ran to their schools and they said to these committees at the school campus levels, we don't feel safe teaching here. Kids are not required to walk around with their school IDs. It's in the rule book, but they're not doing it. Kids are leaving the classroom and wandering the hallways. Kids are going into the restroom and causing trouble. We're not seeing them in class. Kids are going to sleep in class. We can't wake them up. We can't kick them out. Kids are distracting others. This is not even dangerous behavior yet. But now there's Trevor Brown High School has an Instagram page, uh, Trevor Brown High School Fights or something. Trevor G. Brown High School Fights. I followed him on the weekend and there's 15 or 16 fist fights on and off campus that people are videotaping and putting up on this Instagram page. Um, if you're a student that just wants to go to school, we talk about bullying. We talk about all of these other things. Is it better or worse now in the Phoenix Union High School District since they've gotten rid of school resource officers? You have more and more parents that are interested in curriculum. And when parents speak up, they're being shouted down. They're being told to be quiet. So, for you know, whenever I talk about education, what's so funny is the, the other side of this conversation lashes out with hateful. He hates education. And why does he hate teachers? And anybody that's ever seen me interact with a teacher knows I don't hate teachers. I love teachers. And those are the people I'm speaking for. Had it not been for teachers coming to me and saying, Look at this. We're terrified. We keep telling the school we are afraid to teach. We're afraid to be here. And their response is, go pull the orange folder off the wall and go over the folder with your kids. One sheet of paper that says, if there's trouble, run and hide. That was the safety plan. So now they're starting to make some changes, and I hope they make major changes. Because students and teachers that are on campus for education, deserve to do so in comfort and safety. They should feel comfortable sitting in class and getting an education. A teacher should be able to say to a distracting or disruptive student, get out. Get out of my classroom. And then there should be repercussions. And kids should have to wear their school IDs. So you know if there's a kid wandering on your campus, isn't some gangbanger there to cause trouble, or it's a kid that you can identify that's supposed to be on your campus. All of these things work hand in hand. You've got the and and I think what you're seeing and it's not 
This isn't Republican Democrat. What you're seeing are parents that are waking up and saying what we thought was going on in schools because we assumed it was like when we were kids isn't what's going on in this school anymore or in this district anymore. I think school choice plays a big role in this in Arizona. I think competition, a matter of fact, it's not a thought. I I know it. Competition breeds excellence. And that is the case in the restaurant industry here in the state of Arizona, in the NFL, in any other major um, industry, competition breeds excellence. And if you, that's why we get rid of monopolies, right? I mean, our federal government doesn't allow monopolies because when you have a monopoly, we broke up the phone companies years ago because it breeds complacency. Well, if you give parents control of not only where their child goes, but where the tax money attached to their child goes, you're going to see a huge shift in how school management and administrations cater to parents, which is what every parent deserves. They should be heard. So we need I think we're going to get and I think we need sweeping changes in how education is done in Arizona. And I think it's coming. I think it's coming very soon. In a moment, we're going to talk about the Midwest and the devastating storms that hit there uh, over the weekend. We're going to talk about that and the fallout from it and how America can help. That's coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. It's simple to do on any device you have. You'll never miss a minute of the show again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Retirement Planners of America. And um, so let's talk about what happened in the Midwest over the weekend. Disasters with storms and tornadoes all over the Midwest. And what I would say is it's sad when these things happen. And the politics in America seems to get uglier and uglier and uglier and uglier. And so I want you to hear uh, this is uh, Deanne Criswell, who is the uh, FEMA director, was on CNN. And of course, this is the reason. This is going to be our new normal, and uh, the, the effects that we're seeing from climate change are the crisis of our generation. Uh, we're taking a lot of efforts at FEMA to work with communities to help reduce the impacts um, that we're seeing from these severe weather events and help to develop system-wide projects that can help protect communities. All right, so and now this is the president of the United States. The likelihood of fewer weather catastrophes, absent a continued movement, on dealing with global warming. It's just not going to happen. We all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming. Everything. And obviously it has some impact here, but I can't give you a, a quantitative read on that. So you have, this is all about climate change. This is, this is the number one issue. The number one issue of this administration is climate change. Period. End of story. It dictates Almost every single policy decision in this administration, they believe, and the president has said it, it's the number one threat right now is climate change. Um, I don't buy it. 
And and I don't buy it for a number of reasons. Um, I don't deny that the climate changes. I don't deny that it's changing. Never have. Nobody could. You could never see pictures of the different layers of the earth and not realize that we've gone from drought to you know the severe drought. Um, we've had floods. We've had different things happen in the world. Every time the sun burps, um, we have a we have an issue with climate. Um, I've told the story many times about my childhood, and we, we watched it in, in effect the other night when um, in Buffalo, New York, when they played the uh, New England Patriots, the weather was so severe, it blew a 280-pound former offensive lineman or defensive lineman out of his chair in the pregame. The weather was so severe that it was raining and snowing and coming down sideways in Buffalo, New York for that game. Uh, the New England Patriots threw the ball three times total in the entire game. We see the severity of weather. But anybody that believes that this is the new normal because of climate change, I, I think you're, you're fooling yourself. This is That doesn't mean that the earth isn't warming or cooling because back when I was a kid, it was global cooling. And... I, I will continue to tell this story and defy anyone because I know when I say these things, there are people that get angry that I'm a climate denier and all of these other things. Again, I want clean air. I want clean water. I want a safe planet. I want all of these things. First of all, I grew up in Hurricane Alley. I know when hurricanes are bad and when they're not, when I mean seasons, when there's a number of them. And how many years in a row do we hear all these predictions about severe weather where the hurricanes weren't anywhere near as predicted? Then you get a year where they exceed predictions, and that's because of climate change. I was told when I was a young, young, young boy, we were going to starve. Because the severe weather and global cooling that was going on, we weren't going to thaw out enough to grow grow crops and people were going to die. The world was going to starve because we couldn't grow crops. If you don't believe me that that was a narrative, go look it up. You can, you know, the people that hate me for being a climate denier can go and look up that science. The, and, and it's always within the, I think, 11 or 12 years is the timeline. That's how much time we have. Then when I moved to Florida, it was global warming and Al Gore and an inconvenient truth. And all of this stuff came out years later and buying um, carbon credits. And it was carbon in the air or it was fluorocarbons from aerosol cans burning a hole in the ozone and causing this great warmth. Well, what they did because it was so conflicted, you'd have somebody talk about global warming and you'd hear about the ice caps melting and that the sea levels were going to rise and Florida was going to be underwater. We were sold this bill of goods for years and years and years. And when it didn't happen, they couldn't call it global warming. They couldn't call it global cooling. So they call it climate change because they can't predict whether it's going to be a cold winter or a hot warm winter or a hotter summer and so every time you hear somebody say we set a new temperature record high today that was beat the record back in 1916 well what happened in 1916 to the climate when it was that hot or vice versa when you break a cold record I'm not denying that the climate changes. I'm denying that taking away the industrialization, I'm saying if you take away industrialization, that it fixes the problem. That doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for clean air. That doesn't mean that getting rid of leaded gasoline and coming up with unleaded gasoline wasn't a good idea. I'm not saying that we shouldn't move towards electric vehicles. I think they are fantastic in the wave of the future. Solar energy is amazing. And the fact that we live in Arizona and can take advantage of it. 
I'm just telling you the industry of climate change is is what we're seeing. And it's the number one agenda item of this administration. Number one, bar none. And I don't think it's the right answer. I don't think it's the answer at all. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the border. We had the mayor of Yuma on with us earlier today and a very compelling conversation of what's happening down there and what will happen. We'll revisit it next.